Let's turn to Daniel 11. I'll give you a little bit of a, a background. Um, the chapter is really divided in two places. The first 35 verses are going to deal with such detailed account of the historical events, especially between uh, the Medo-Persian Empire and the rise of uh, Alexander the Great and his four generals. We've covered some of this, but not in such great detail. Now, if you're one of those people that likes to get into detail and prophetic things, this is your chapter. And um, because it is so detailed and so precise that those who read it um, and don't believe in prophecy, they have to argue for a late writing for the book of Daniel because Daniel could have never nailed it so well as he unfolds in detail historical events. We're even gonna talk about Cleopatra tonight and her involvement that she's actually in the scriptures. Uh, We'll discover tonight that there's titles like Ptolemy. There's different Ptolemies that ruled in Egypt and um, there's different um, epiphanies as we're gonna see in different Antiochs and um, there's more than one and so we'll be able to sort some of those things out. But as we look at this, um, chapters 10 through 12 basically deal with the same vision. Um, Therefore, chapter 11 is a continuation of the previous chapter. Um, It's gonna tie into Daniel 9, as we're going to see. Um, It should also be noted um, that the prophecy bridges the gap from the Medo-Persian in detail over to Alexander the Great in Greece, and really what a lot of this chapter is about is the warring factors of these four generals after Alexander dies. And unfortunately, what what happened, we'll talk about Seleucus taking Syria and Ptolemy taking Egypt. These would have been Alexander the Great's generals, but they were always going at it. And it gets into detail how the battles were fought, how much money was taken. And um, unfortunately, Israel would choose sides, and unfortunately, usually they picked the wrong side. And they suffered greatly during this, this period of time. We read in Daniel 9 that there would be a time of, of, of suffering. Uh, and this also, I should point out, takes place after the book of Malachi, and then we call it the 400 silent years where God doesn't speak. Well, that's true that the prophets weren't speaking until John the Baptist shows up, but this chapter here is gonna give us a lot of detail biblically that took place during that 400 year period of time. So with that in view, um, let's go and I'm gonna take these couple of verses at a time and then give you the history uh, so you can see just the, the detail that uh, was given to Daniel. So in, as we look at verse one, it tells us, 
It was the first year of Darius the Mede. Even I stood up to confirm and strengthen him. Strange verse. It's a continuation of um, uh, the chapter before. And remember in chapter 10, we talked about the prince of Persia being a demonic spirit of great authority. And Daniel's prayer in Daniel 10 was held up for three full weeks because Satan did not want Daniel to have this information. The information that you're going to receive tonight, um, he does not want you to know what has been, how historically accurate it is, but more importantly for you and I, what's coming, what is going to be. That's chapter verses 36 through the end of of chapter 11, which is verse 45. And um, so what we have here in verse one, the speaker here is the angel that was in verse 21. No one upholds me against thee except Michael, your prince. Also in the first year, so it's a continuing thought going into verse one. um, And he's actually strengthening um, Darius. Now this Darius uh, was the same one um, that occurred during the reign when Daniel was thrown into the den of lions. Remember they tricked Darius into signing this decree? Anybody that doesn't worship just you uh, shall be thrown into the um, den of lions. And Darius let his ego get a, a hold of him and he says, good idea, go for it, do it. Make the decree. And then they busted Daniel for praying. And um, when Darius realized that he'd been tricked into all this, he tried to undo it, but the laws of the Medes and the, and the Persians was set in stone, and it couldn't be changed even by Darius himself. So he, realizing um, that he was trapped by his own decree, Uh, He said to Daniel, your God, whom thou servest continually, he will deliver you. And I stood and confirmed and strengthened him. So the angel here confirmed and strengthened Darius in his faith. He also comforted and assisted Daniel. And Daniel said, you you might recall, my God has sent his angel and he has shut the lion's mouth. Remember Darius running in, Daniel, are you there? Are you okay? And he said, oh, king, live forever. And uh, he was alive. He says, the Lord, my God, sent his angel and has shut the lion's mouth. So historically, this is where the vision fits in. And it bridges the gap between the Old and the New Testament. Uh, That's what we call the 400 silent years. Verse two. And now I tell you the truth. Behold, three more kings will arise in Persia after Darius, and a fourth shall be far richer than them all, and by his strength through his riches he shall stir up all against the realm of Greece. The Grecian Empire is in view, so we're in transition. Um, We think we know who these other um, uh, rulers would have been after Darius. Um... We think Cambrius was one. He would have been the first. 
He reigned in 529 BC, then pseudo Semertus 522 BC, Darius Hystrapus 521 BC, and then Xerxes, who invaded Greece in 480 BC. Uh, he was defeated, and never again did Medo-Persia make a bid for world dominion. And um, Xerxes is probably the Ahasuerus of the book of Esther. Uh, he was very rich, as a prophecy here said he would be. So when, you, when we read the book of Esther, we talk about the city of Shushan and Xerxes, probably, I believe, is the same guy as Ahasuerus in the book of Esther. Verse 3, uh, we're, we're changing rulers now. And remember, keep in mind that this is a, lot of, a lot of this is repetitive and we're just filling in a lot of detail. You can go back to Daniel 2 and remember the metallic image that showed the different empires, the head of gold, Babylon, um, then the Medo-Persian, the chest, and then um, the Grecian, then, and then the Roman, and that, then the ten toes were our yet future, the revived Roman Empire. So when we read in verse 3, we're switching now from Medo-Persian to Grecian, and then a mighty king shall arise who shall rule with great dominion and do according to his own will. Who we have in view here is Alexander the Great, who some think was one of the greatest field generals that ever lived. He conquered the known world uh, in his, by the time he was in his early 30s. Verses, verse four here, and when he has risen, his kingdom shall be broken up and divided toward the four wings of heaven, but not among his posterity, nor according to his dominion with which he ruled, for his kingdom shall be uprooted even for others besides these. Now in, in verse four here, what we have is Alexander's rise, but then we have it divided. And Josephus and other historians um, will say when he was on his deathbed, who inherits your kingdom? And he said, give it to the strong. And he had four generals at that time. So the four generals that we have in view here, four of his generals divided the empire into four geographical areas, each ruled by one general. So Alexander's kingdom is cut in four pieces. The division was roughly like this. Cassander took Macedonia. Lassimachus took Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. Seleucus uh, took Syria. And the remainder of the Middle East and Ptolemy uh, took Egypt. All four families warred among themselves and eventually they all lost their kingdoms when we see the rise of the Roman Empire. Matter of fact, we're gonna read in here tonight that the Syrians are gonna get taxed. Well, they're being taxed by the Romans because Romans are on the rise. And we'll see, um, you can let a little bit of Hollywood drift in here if you ever watched Cleopatra and uh, Mark Anthony and and, um, it gets into detail um, when Egypt finally was defeated. It was 
because of the Roman um, ships and army. And, but I'm getting ahead of myself. So what we have here, verse four, is a reference to these uh, um, different generals. In verses five and six, then the king of the south shall become strong as well as one of his princes, and he shall gain power over him and have dominion, and his dominion shall be a great dominion. And who we have in view here, this would be Ptolemy. And at the end of some years, they shall join forces for the daughter of the king of the south shall go to the king of the north to make an arrangement, an agreement, but she will not retain the power of her authority and neither he nor his authority shall stand, but she shall be given up with those who brought her and with him who begot her and with him who strengthened her in those times. Now, if you're just reading this, it's not really making a lot of sense, so I'll fill in the blanks. And uh, again, this is for those who are... um, Uh, given to wanting to know the details in Bible prophecy. The king of the north refers to the line of uh, um, Seleucus. This verse uh, talks about trying to form an alliance between these two warring families. Now, Ptolemy is the title, Philadelphus, probably butchering that, of Egypt gave his daughter... Bernice in marriage to Antichus Theos. Now, as I say Antichus Theos, we're used to thinking of Antioch Epiphanes. So I've just introduced you to a different Antichus of Syria. Now, Antichus was already married to Laodice. Isn't that interesting? So we have, remember when we studied... um, the history of Laodicea, and I'm, I'll come back to it, but this is, would have been um, Laodice Third and Antioch Epiphanes' wife was also named Laodice, but she was Laodice Fourth. And it really did blow my mind when I found out, when I was doing the, the, the history of where did the name Laodicea comes from, it comes from right here, Laodice, from Laodicea, the last of the seven churches, which is in Turkey, which is where um, uh, Antichus comes from. All right, so Antichus was all married to, to Laodice, whom he divorced. And after two years, Ptolemy, Philadelphus, he dies. So Antichus, Theos, put away Bernice with her son, took back his first wife, Laodice. Are you catching all this? (laughs) She in turn poisoned Antichus Theos and ordered the death of Bernice and her son. The Laodice put her own son, Seleucus, on the throne. So here's the names, and when it talks about they won't stand, um, in verses four and five, That's filling in the blanks with the names. That brings us to verse seven. But from a branch of her root, one shall arise in her place who shall come with an army, enter the fortress of the king of the north, 
and deal with them and prevail. Now this was uh, Ptolemy Euregus, the brother of Bernice, who came with an army and captured Syria. So you can see this is going back and forth. And he seized the fort, which was the port of Antioch in that day. Verses eight and nine. And he shall carry their gods captive to Egypt and with their princes and their precious articles of silver and gold, and he shall continue uh, more years than the king of the north. We're talking between 246 and 240. Then the king of the north shall come to the kingdom uh, of the king of the south, but shall return to his own land. Okay, it is recorded that Ptolemy Eurigus, uh, uh, took into Egypt a booty of 4,000 talents of gold, 40,000 talents of silver, and 2,500 uh, idols. Um, and this was literally fulfilled. In other words, this is a fact of history that you can do your own homework on. And the details are given to us here in 8 and 9. All right, 10 through 13... However, his son shall stir up strife and assemble a multitude of great forces and one shall certainly come and overwhelm and pass through. Uh, Then he shall return to his fortress and stir up strife and the king of the south shall be moved with rage and go out and fight with him, with the king of the north, who shall muster a great multitude, but the multitude shall be given into the hands of his enemy. And when he has taken away the multitudes, um, his heart will be lifted up and he will cast down tens of thousands, but he will not prevail. For the king of the north will return and muster a multitude greater than the former and shall certainly come at the end of some years with a great army and much equipment. All right. What we have here is this continuing war that's going on between Egypt and Syria, Seleucus and Ptolemy. And it's back and forth and back and forth. And um, again, Israel repeatedly made wrong choices and found herself being made captive first by one and then by the other. I think it's Daniel 9. Let's go back. Go to verse 25. Uh, Daniel 9, and let me explain this verse. This is, of course, the the famous verse that deals with... This was also, by the way, the first... Daniel chapter 9 is also the first year of Darius. And so in verse 25, we have the great... um, verse that tells us the day that Jesus would ride the donkey into Jerusalem, right to the very day. That would have been uh, April 632 AD. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem. Um, We stopped there, remember, when we went to um, Nehemiah. Nehemiah was the one who got the, the marching orders to go back to Jerusalem. And uh, so you have to have a starting point. Know from the starting point 
that um, until Messiah the Prince, there's going to be these 69 weeks or 483 years or 173,880 days. And then it says, then the street will be built again and the wall, even in troublesome times. The troublesome times is a reference to what we're reading in chapter 11. During that 400 years, this was back and forth between Egypt and Syria, and Israel is right in the middle. And um, uh, it was a terrible period of time, and it's only going to escalate by the time we get to Antioch Epiphanies. All right, back to chapter 11. Made it through verse uh, 13. Pick it up in verse 15 and 16. So the king of the north shall come and build a siege mount and take a fortified city and the forces of the, of the south shall not withstand him. Even his choice troops shall have no strength to resist but he who comes against him shall do according to his own will and no one will stand against him. He will stand in the glorious land uh, with destruction in his power. Now, as we get to this verse, when it refers to he shall stand in the glorious land, now we know why this has been recorded and given to Daniel. Remember Daniel chapter nine, uh, the 77s, it's for your people and the city of Jerusalem. This is very, very important, especially when we talk about the rapture on this Sunday, as we're still between um, chapters three and four, we're only going to get to verse one on Sunday. We'll get one verse knocked out, and then we'll do um, a study on the rapture of the church. And Daniel 9 is one of the most important chapters that you have to understand who is being talked to here. And you can't put the church, I can't get too much into this or I'll get really sidetracked. (laughs) You simply cannot put the church in this seven-year time period. Why? Because it's for the Jews and the city of Jerusalem. And it happens to be that God owes Israel one more week. 69 are fulfilled. We call it Daniel's 70th week for a reason. God owes Israel one seven-year period of time and the church can't be any part of it. And it's one of the the strongest arguments that we have is Daniel chapter nine. And we'll be bringing it up on a little bit more, a lot more on Sunday. All right, um, verses 15 through 16. He shall stand in the glorious land. Now we know why this has been recorded and given to Daniel. It concerns the glorious land, which is Israel, the land that God gave to Abraham and to those coming after him. These two verses predict what history now records as the victory of Antiochus the Great over Egypt. So this is a major war in world history. Uh, It was a decisive victory and it caused Israel to suffer incredibly as a result of it. Again, just being caught in the middle. You gotta go through Israel to to, to get to Egypt. Verse 17, And he shall set his face to enter with the strength of his whole kingdom and upright ones with him, thus shall he do. And he shall give him the daughter of whom to destroy it, but she will not stand with him or be with him. 
All right, here she is at verse 17. This brings us to about 198, 195 BC when Antichus the Great made a treaty with Egypt and part of the deal was he gave his daughter, Cleopatra, to Ptolemy um, in marriage. Now when you watch the movie, um, they actually show him as being a real little boy, if you remember the movie at all. Um, I was talking to my wife on the way here, and I said, I'm probably going to go home and watch Cleopatra tonight. (laughs) And uh, how many of you, I'm just curious, how many of you are learning for the first time that Cleopatra is actually in the Bible? Go ahead, just you can raise your hand. Cleopatra is in the Bible. She's in verse 17 right here. And it was all part of an arrangement, and as you know, she didn't go along with it. She falls in love with Mark Anthony. And I'm um, getting ahead of myself there. And this is really also what's happening at the same time is Rome is growing more and more and more in power as this is all unfolding, 18 to 20. And, this, and after this, he will turn his face to the coastlands and shall take many, but a ruler shall bring the reproach against them to an end, and with the reproach removed, he shall turn back on him, and then he shall turn his face toward the fortress of his own land, but he shall stumble and not be found. There shall arise in his place one who imposes taxes on the glorious kingdom, but within a few days he shall be destroyed, but not in anger or in battle. Now again, history students who know this is blowing their mind that Daniel is giving such incredible detail. Uh, what this is saying, he shall return his face into the isles, that's a reference to Greece, and all the Greek islands. This is where Antichus the Great was beginning to move at this time, not only against Ptolemy in the south, but against one of the other generals, Lysimachus, who was in the west. A prince for his own behalf would refer to another line, that is Rome, which was beginning to arise in the west and move towards the east. Rome, you see, was taking taxes from the Syrians, and that's what's being made mention of uh, here in verse 20. The ones who are imposing the taxes are Rome and the ones who are paying it is Syria. So again, let's remember our order of world empires. Babylon, Medo-Persian, Grecian under Alexander the Great and then the rise of the Roman Empire. And that's what we see unfolding here as as, um, um, the Grecian Empire is slowly winding down, we find the Roman Empire growing in power. Verse 21. And in his place shall rise a vile person to whom they will not give the honor of royalty, but he shall come in peaceably and seize the kingdom by intrigue, or in other words, flattery. Now, here's our Antioch that we're familiar with. That's recorded in chapter 8, 
We're now introduced as what's called a vile person, Antioch Epiphanes, who was king in Syria and is easily identified in history. This is the little horn that has already been fulfilled as we studied back in chapter eight. Now, he's important for a lot of different reasons. But the biggest reason is, is when we get to the second half of the chapter, we're gonna meet his counterpart that is yet future in the Antichrist. So it's important, again, that we connect the dots between the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation. This is a foreshadow. In the same way that when we read of the two witnesses, Revelation 11, um, they have, they're there for the first three and a half years of the tribulation, and it doesn't rain for three and a half years because Elijah says it's not gonna rain. The reason I find it interesting again is because it happened before under King Ahab and Jezebel. Um, he says it's not gonna rain until I say so. Jesus actually said it was exactly three and a half years. If you go to James chapter five, it tells us Elijah was an average guy, just like you and me. But when he prayed, it didn't rain for the space of three and a half years. And so we have these types. It is very important to see the importance of the Old Testament and the importance of teaching the Bible chapter by chapter, verse by verse, because if you don't do that, you're not gonna see what I just said. Is everybody with me? Good place for an amen then. Then you get to see, oh, that's interesting. And when we stagger at some of these things that are foretold, yet future, we go, that sounds pretty far out. Did I say far out? I did say far out, didn't I? Okay, said it again. (laughs) And yet, we fall back on this. This has happened before. So the next half of this chapter is all about the Antichrist. And what do we have in the first part of the chapter but the demise of the Medo-Persian Empire, the four generals, the rise of the Roman Empire, and um, a picture of this vile, what they call this vile person in verse 21. Well, how does the Antichrist come in? With flattery. And for the first three and a half years, he tries to Um, Well, there's warfares that we're going to see in just a little bit um, when we get to the second part of the chapter here. But again, it's the same personality type. Very, very vile. The Antichrist will be a blasphemer. Um, He will destroy, chapter 13, verse 7. He will destroy not only... Moses and Elijah leave them dead in the streets for three and a half days, but also he goes after God's chosen people and the believers. So verse 21 is, uh, again, Antioch Epiphanes. 22 to 24, with the force of a flood, they should be swept away before him. Now here's something that I've never seen before. When we study Revelation chapter 13, it says that Satan has been cast down knowing that he has a little time. So what does he do? He goes after the woman who is Israel and he says he pursues her like a flood. And when when the lights went on here, we've often said, well, is that literal? Is it a literal flood? Could be. But the terminology that's used here is clearly an army 
With the force of a flood, they shall be swept away from before him. So if, if we're having similarities here, now I'm looking at Revelation chapter 13 in a complete new light. It's not a literal flood, but now I'm, because of this verse here, I'm thinking it's a flood of a great army that goes after them. Um, and with the force of a flood, they shall be swept away from before him and broken, and also the prince of the covenant. And after the league is made with him, he shall act deceitfully, for he shall come up and become strong and a small number of people. And he shall enter peaceably, even into the richest places of the province, and he shall do what his fathers have not done, nor his forefathers. He shall disperse among them the plunder, spoil, riches, and he shall devise his plans against the stronghold, but only for a time. Again, the similarities of the Antichrist and Revelation are uncanny here. Uh, The Prince of the Covenant... Uh, what that is probably a reference to is Onus III, the high priest, who was disposed and murdered at this time by the deceitful devices of Antioch Epiphanes when he came into power, 25 through 28. And he shall stir up his power and his courage against the king of the south with a great army. And the king of the south shall be stirred up to battle with very uh, great and mighty army, but he shall not stand, for they shall devise plans against him. Yes, those who eat of the portion of his delicacies shall destroy him, his army shall be swept away, and many shall fall down slain. Both these kings' hearts shall be bent on evil, they will speak lies at the same table, but it will not prosper, for the end will still be at the appointed time. And while returning to his land with great riches, his heart shall be moved against the holy covenant, so he shall no longer, so he shall do damage and return to his own home. 25 through 28. The verses describe the campaign of Antioch and his victory over the king of Egypt, which brought him much riches and prestige. Uh, They shall speak lies at one table refers to the fact that he was an unreliable liar. And um, um, coming in with flattery, very, very much like the Antichrist yet future. 29 and 30. At the appointed time, he shall return and go towards the south, but it shall not be like the former or the latter. For ships from Cyprus uh, shall come against him. Actually, the word uh, ships of uh, Shittim, C-H-I-T-T-I-M, is more accurate than Cyprus. Therefore, he shall be grieved and return in rage against the holy covenant and do damage. And so he shall return and show um, regard for those who forsook, no regard for those who forsook the, the holy covenant. Now, 29 and 30 is actually, uh, this is Antioch Epiphany's second campaign against Egypt. But 
uh, he was not successful because of the Roman navy. This is where now Rome is entering the picture and this is part of what we see with the movie in Cleopatra. And the Romans actually showing up. Um, um, and that's when it talks about these ships. It's actually a reference to Rome. He broke his covenant with Israel. But notice that um, um, some of the Jews betrayed their own people. And he shall even return and have intelligence with them uh, that forsook the holy covenant. They were under a lot of pressure. And finally it gets to the point where um, Judas Maccabeus has had all he could stand. He was high priest in Israel at this time. And I'm getting ahead of myself here. Uh, Verse 31 And forces shall be mustered by him, and they shall defile the sanctuary fortress, and they shall take away the daily sacrifice and place there the abomination of desolation. Well, that's exactly, if you turn back to Daniel chapter 9, when we read here in verse 27, it's a, a foreshadow of the one that's coming. Daniel 9, verse 27, it says, then he will confirm a covenant with many for one week. The he goes back to verse 26, and the people of the prince who is to come. Well, these are the Romans. They will destroy the sanctuary. The Romans destroyed Jerusalem in 70 AD. Now, part of his lineage, and the prince, um, is a part of the Roman Empire. That's why we say that the Antichrist has to come out of the revived Roman Empire. And then verse 27, the he there, the Antichrist, yet future, will make a covenant with many for one week, but in the middle of the week he will bring an end to the sacrifice and offerings. Well, that tells us a lot. We'll be going to Second Thessalonians not only Sunday, but also tonight. And what he does is to have the sacrifices, you have to have the temple. So evidently, when he makes this peace treaty, Part of the deal is that Israel will be allowed to rebuild their temple and actually reinstitute sacrifices. So he breaks his promise because he's a liar. And um, on the wings of abomination shall be one who makes desolate even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. We simply call it the abomination of desolation. So go back to Chapter 11, we read verse 31. Antioch Epiphanes came against Jerusalem in 170 BC, at which time over 100,000 Jews were killed. He took away the daily sacrifice from the temple, offered the blood and broth of a swine upon the altar, and he set up an image of Jupiter, which was his God, to be worshipped in the holy place of the temple. And we call that, and Jesus talks about it in Matthew chapter 24, when you see future tense, the abomination of desolation, spoken of by who? Daniel the prophet. So Jesus himself verifies what we're reading right here, that Daniel, and he calls him a prophet. So that's verse 31. 
Um, let's turn back to chapter 8. I just want to throw in a little detail here and talk about Antioch Epiphanies from Daniel chapter 8. Let's look at verse 9 through 14. And out of one of them came a little horn, which grew exceedingly great towards the south, towards the east, and towards the glorious land. And it grew up to the host of heaven, and it cast down some of the hosts, and trampled the stars to the ground, and trampled them. He even exalted himself as high as a prince of hosts, and by him the daily sacrifice was taken away, and the place of his sanctuary was cast down. Because of transgression, an army was given over to the horn to oppose the daily sacrifice, and he cast truth down to the ground. He did all this, and he prospered. And now angels are talking in verse 13. And then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to the certain one who was speaking, well, how long will the vision be concerning the daily sacrifice and the transgression of desolation? Uh, the giving of both the sanctuary and the host to be trampled underfoot. And he said to me, for 2,300 days, then the sanctuary shall be cleansed. Now this is giving us detail that Daniel 11 isn't, but we do have it in Daniel chapter eight. Basically, what the question is, is the temple's been defiled. How long before it's going to be cleansed? and it'll be usable again. That's about between a six and a seven year period of time, and that's basically the time frame that we have here because what happened um, in these verses is, I'll go to my notes here. What happened was when it says many who knew their God, I'll go back to Daniel 11 now. Verse 34, verse 32, those who do wickedly against the covenant shall corrupt with flattery, but the people who knew their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. Okay, Um, this is a reference to Judas Maccabeus, who was the high priest, who had had it up to here with Antioch Epiphanes. And they actually called him the hammer. And this was called the Maccabean Revolt. He went to war against the Syrians. And during this period of time of 2,300 days, that's the the length of time it took for them to get the Syrians out of Jerusalem. And it was all because of this guy named Judas Maccabeus. Now, there are other writings, the book of Maccabees, um, and also Josephus, that gets it into quite a bit of detail about this particular war and the, the length of time. It would be the books of uh, First and Second Mac- Maccabees as well as the writings of Flavius Josephus. So again, this is, these are facts of history, and again, it took place during that 400 silent years. 33 and 34. And those of the people who understand shall instruct many. Yet for many days they shall fall by sword and flame, by captivity and plunder. Now when they fall, they shall be aided with little help, but many shall join with them by intrigue. Uh, 
So in these verses, this period lies between the Testaments and basically it's a saga of the suffering. There were many in this time who served God as faithfully and continuously, um, like Daniel or Jeremiah. Um, and again, if you want more information on this, Josephus would be a good, good one to look to. Verse 35 is a transitional verse between um, the history that's past tense and now we're going to transition to what is going to be. So let's read verse 35. And some of those of understanding shall fall to refine them, purge them, and make them white until the time of the end. Here's where the transition, because it is still for the appointed time. Now, he's pointing his finger into the future and beginning with verse 36, um, everything that we've studied thus far is history. Everything that I'm gonna read until the end of the chapter is yet to come. Then the king shall do according to his own will. Uh, He shall exalt and magnify himself above every god, shall speak blasphemies against the God of heaven, shall prosper till the wrath has been accomplished, for what has been determined shall be done. We'll read up to verse 39. He shall regard neither the God of his fathers nor the desire of women, nor regard any God, for he shall magnify himself above them all. But in their place he shall honor a God of fortress and a God which his fathers did not know. He shall honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and pleasant things. Thus he will act against the strongest fortress with a foreign God, which he shall acknowledge and advance its glory. And he shall cause them to rule over many and he will divide the land for gain. Now that's an interesting verse in light of what's going on right now in a stage that is being set. Um, and what we have in view here is just one of his titles. Bear with me as I just give you these names through the scriptures about the man that we call the Antichrist. Wow, there's lots of them. Um, Psalm 5, the wicked one. Psalm 10, the man of the earth. Psalm 10, the mighty man. Uh, Psalm 52, the enemy. Psalm 55, the adversary. Psalm 74, the head of many countries. Psalm 116, the violent man. Psalm 140, the Assyrian. Isaiah 10, um, the king of Babylon. Isaiah 14, the son of the morning. Um, Isaiah 14, the spoiler. Jeremiah uh, talks about the wicked prince of Israel. Um, We have Daniel 7, the little horn. Uh, The prince who shall come, we just read that in Daniel chapter 9. The vile person, Daniel 11, that's where we are here. The willful king, we're going to get to verse 36. Uh, He's called there. Uh, He's also called the idol shepherd. Uh, The man of sin in 2 Thessalonians. The son of perdition, also 2 Thessalonians. The lawless one, also 2 Thessalonians. The Antichrist, 1 John. Um, The beast, uh, the one coming in his own name, John 5. The king of a fierce countenance, Daniel 8. Uh, the abomination of desolation, Matthew 24, the destroyer, 
the Desolator, Daniel chapter 9. And these are um, just some of his titles. Hold your place here, and please turn with me. Yep, I have time to go. Go to Second Thessalonians 2, where we, again, will be connecting these dots on Sunday morning as we discuss the rapture. But here, it makes reference to what he's going to do, and we'll get into detail in this on Sunday, but let's pick it up, verse three. It says, let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. Um, the word apostasia is there. And then it says, and a man of sin, here's one of his titles, is revealed, and then in the same verse, another title, the son of perdition. Who is he? He exalts himself above all that is called God, or that is worship, so that he sits as God, in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. And I get a kick out of verse five because Paul was only in Thessalonica for less than one month. And he's giving them all this in-depth doctrine, especially as it pertains to Bible prophecy, even speaking about the Antichrist, the rapture, and all these events and these Christians are three weeks old in the Lord. And when I read verse five, Paul's basically saying, don't you remember that when I was with you, I was telling you these things? I'm thinking, Paul, let's cut him some slack. They're three weeks old in the Lord. And um, when I was still with you, I told you these things. And now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time. That's gonna be a major verse on Sunday. So in Second Thessalonians, we'll read through verse 12 here, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Let me just stop and pause. Is the mystery of lawlessness at work right now? Worldwide. Worldwide. And who would have thunk it? Um, the pressure that is on people right now. We're sitting in the back room. We're talking about people going through really difficult times right now. I said, you know how fortunate we are to sit down in fellowship right now, to go out and worship, and then sit down and just sit down and have a Bible study? When people are just, a lot of people are freaking out, and rightly so. Unprecedented times. um, Who I really want to show this video, 17 minutes long, uh, by Dr. Kelly, who is a leading um, woman in the world in her field, works for many Fortune 500 companies, instructing them in tragedy and in uh, viruses, and she's a world-renowned expert. And she puts this whole, whole thing in perspective. So if I could figure out a way to work 17 extra minutes without getting the Sunday school teachers upset with me, I'm going to try to do it. And if, if I don't, would you just write it down yourself? She's, you, can, you can Google her name very, very easily. She's already, oh, I should mention that she's already been pulled off uh, YouTube. But you can get her on different websites. And the very least that I will do is put that website up on the screen on Sunday. 
at the very least we'll do that much. And I encourage you to pass this information along because um, if it doesn't go along with the agenda that the, the, um, uh, the powers that be uh, want in place, that you're gonna, you're, if you speak out as we're speaking out, believe me, they're talking about mandatory masking now in Green Bay. That's what I, was, that's what I walked out the door to tonight on the news. And um, I can see the train coming with this uh, mandatory vaccine. And they're going to kick the can down the road as long as they can and get people to be afraid so they'll capitulate and give in. And um, I want to be like Judas Maccabeus. I want to go against the flow and uh, speak the truth and what's really happening. They're juggling the numbers like crazy. Don't get me upset because I can get upset pretty easy. This many people died today. Yeah, they sure did. People die every day. How old were they? Did they have preconditions? And how are you doing the counting? Well, they're all dying in California. Gee, that's interesting. It's the most populated state in our country. And uh, they're making more mandatory statements. All right, get back to the Bible. (laughs) Verse eight, and then the lawless one, here's another title for him, will be revealed whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power signs and lying wonders. And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. For this reason, God will send them a strong delusion that they would believe the lie that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Let's go back and finish Daniel chapter 11. More on that on Sunday. Let's finish up, we left off in verse, pick it up in verse 40. Now, at the time of the end, the king of the south shall attack him, and the king of the north shall come against him like a world with chariot horses and with many ships, and he shall enter the countries and overwhelm them and pass through. He shall also enter the glorious land, and many countries shall be overthrown, but these shall escape from his hand, Edom, Moab, and many prominent people of Ammon. He shall stretch out his hand against the countries, and notice, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. Now, I'm going to put something up on on the screen that's happening today, and I'm just putting it up because as we watch things come together. This is, um, the title of this is Too Late to Stop. Egypt and Turkey Speed Up Preparations for War in Libya. And I'm gonna ask you to go home and Google this yourself because it's, it's uh, complicated. Because right now, Libya is divided, sort of like in a civil war. Remember Gaddafi? Well, there's been that, um, camp, and now those who are in rebellion and want um, the, the leader who took his place, they've asked Egypt to get directly involved. And Turkey 
is standing up for the other side. So now we have Egypt and Turkey at, at odds. Like on Sunday, we were talking about Israel and Iran. Well, this is another part of the scenario. And so what we're reading here is when the Antichrist is conquering and we're heading towards the Battle of Armageddon, what happens is he's in the process of taking, getting involved with Egypt. And, but he turns back from that because he gets news from the north that other armies are coming in. So what he does is he stops his attack on Egypt and he goes and he's about to engage um, these other ones and they happen to meet and stop in a place that we call the Valley of Armageddon. Interesting coincidence that all these nations, plural, are coming together. Let's finish out the chapter and I'll expound a little bit more on it. He shall stretch out his hands against the land of Egypt. He shall have power over the treasures of gold and silver, over the precious things of Egypt. Also the Libyans and Ethiopians shall follow at his heels. But news from the east and the north. What news from the east? Remember, last was last Wednesday, we talked about the demon frogs that came out of the false prophet of uh, the Antichrist and, uh, and Satan. And it says they went and they, the Euphrates was dried up and they stirred them up and brought them into the valley of Armageddon. That's what's happening right here. This is the news that he's getting. China's making its way there. So he cuts off his battle and he's on his way back and it says, but news from the east and the north trouble him. Therefore they shall go out with great fury, destroy and annihilate many and he shall plant the tents of his palace between the seas and the glorious holy mountain. Yet he shall come to his end and no one will help him. Now this is where the book of Revelation um, uh, we'll fill in the gaps and this is how we'll wind things up tonight. Uh, the sea here refers to the Mediterranean Sea, the glorious holy mountain, of course, is Jerusalem. In other words, the Antichrist will establish his headquarters for world conquest between the Mediterranean Sea and Jerusalem. However, I will close by looking at, turning to Revelation chapter 19. It says, he will not succeed he will not prosper, and he, in fact, will fail and be destroyed. Revelation 19, picking it up in verse 17. is the second coming of Christ, and much of our Bible study in Revelation chapter, uh, Daniel chapter 12 is going to give us to the day the second coming of Jesus. Why did the prince of Persia, Iran, not want Daniel to have this information so that you wouldn't have this information? And he was doing everything in his power. And if it wasn't for, again, Michael showing up and intervening, um, he would have his way. So what happens as we end Daniel chapter 11 says he, he, he won't succeed. Well, this tells us why. Jesus returns on his, not a little donkey this time, but a white stallion, and on his robe a name written, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. 
And then I saw an angel standing in the sun and he cried with a loud voice saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather together for the supper of the great God that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and those who sit on them, the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast, there's another name for him, and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him and him who sat on the horse and against his army. If you're taking notes, you might want to read Psalm 2. That's what we have in view here. The nations of the world coming to do battle against the Lord. Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in the presence, in which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. And the rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on his horse and all the birds were filled with his flesh. Sounds like a pretty wild um, war of all wars, but it's really not. When people talk about the battle of Armageddon, it's really very, very short-lived because the Lord is just gonna speak and it's over. And the first order of business is what we're reading in the second half of Daniel chapter 11 is the exploits of what leads up to his defeat. He's attacking Egypt, but then he gets the news from the north and the east, so he goes back. He gets as far as the Mediterranean and the valley of Megiddo, and here's the rest of the story. Such important information, and it's such a powerful tool as stuff that we're watching right now. We're watching Turkey, that's Erdogan, and Egypt um, talking about Libya, which um, in, when it talks about the armies that gather together, um, push and cut. This is all northern Africa that tie in here. Well, I hope that left you feeling warm and fuzzy. So let's stand and we'll close it a word of prayer. Lord, we know a lot of people do not that go to churches and even love you will not deal with the issues and subjects we talked about tonight. For some, it's just information overload and feel like they're in a history class. But Lord, those of us who love your word and love to dig deeper into it, we thank you for the unbelievable detail that we find in Daniel chapter 11. Lord, we know it's a fact of history, what has been, and what it does is is increase our confidence when we read about what's going to be with this man of sin who's going to appear on the scene. I believe he's living today. And so Lord, as we go out tonight, uh, we would be encouraged knowing that you have a purpose and you have a plan. And we're watching it unfold right before our very eyes. So we thank you for your word tonight, Lord, and as your people go, I just pray you bless them, and um, we do pray for Sunday morning, and um, that you'd go before that message, which we call the blessed hope of the rapture of the church. Thank you that you have a plan, Lord. In Jesus' name, 
Amen.